Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, Josh Pacheco and Hunter Hughes. I sat down with ESPN today, and I don't care if they hear it in Boulder. I told them I took my hat off and I took my glasses off, and I said, when I talk to grown-ups, I take my hat and my glasses off. That's what my mother taught me. So, you know, they're not going to like us no matter what we say or do. It doesn't matter, okay? So let's go up there and play. And so I... That's just how I feel about it. And so I don't mean to take over the show, but it's your show. I'm just tired off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. This is off the bench. Off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. There we go. We're super prepared for that. We have power. <laughs> Tanner here with in for Josh Pacheco. Um, what you just heard on there, Hunter Hughes, was Jay Norvell and his interesting comments towards Deion Sanders. Jay Norvell, of course, Colorado State's head coach. Yes, head coach of Colorado State. They have that huge matchup going up on Saturday where – Everybody and their friends and their mothers and their mother's <laughs> friends are going to be in Boulder, Colorado for that game. What is it? It's college game day, big noon kickoff, uh, the Pat McAfee show, first take. I mean, what isn't going to be there? Oh, 60 Minutes is also going to be there, by the way. And Really? Yeah, that's what I heard. Wow. Yeah, that was via Kanoa Leahy. So if that's wrong, blame him, not me. If If – Dion is attracting 60-minute crowd, then he truly is uh, a man of, of the people. They said they're expecting an influx of $18 million this weekend. <sighs> Something crazy like that. All so right. it's that primetime effect. And Pay the with man. That, with that primetime effect comes the opposing coaches wanting to say something about either his team or him, his coaching style, or what he wears. And Jay Norvell, you know, head coach of Colorado State the last two years, not necessarily the most winningest program in the last two years for in the Mountain West. What, they're like, what, have won two games in the last two years so far. So Deion Sanders is already kind of caught up to uh, Jay Norvell on that one. Yeah. But what do you think about those comments? You know, uh, Jay Norvell kind of laying down the hammer on Deion Sanders on his own now, show. Okay, on his own show. So I'm guessing this is like a Colorado State version of like the Timmy Chang show, like what we have. I think that's what it is. Okay. So he's allowed to say whatever the heck he wants to say. True. On his own show to his own fans Colorado State's boosters, that whole crew. And there's already a built-in rivalry in most states where there's a Colorado, Colorado State, Florida, Florida State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Okay, so this is built in in a lot of places. Um, so that part I don't really get all that, that worked up about. And from everything that we know about um, Coach Norvell – He's a pretty stand-up dude, tight with Timmy. Um, I've only ever heard good things about this guy. And similarly, last week, Dion and his son Shadur kind of making up fake drama about Coach Rule, the head coach for Nebraska, standing on the Buffalo before the game. Who cares? It's not like 
Michigan and Ohio State right. going to midfield and clawing up the logo or anything like right. that. I mean, you you only have one field to get warmed up on. So I get he's trying to hype his players up. And th- this is why we're talking about this is Dion and the whole Colorado team is using this as fuel and making it quote-unquote personal. Well, I think if I were Deion Sanders and your opposing coach does say something like this, why not use it as personal drama? Why not put it up on the bulletin board? And I know for at least Nebraska, I would say that a lot of the it's personal vibes comes off of a lot of the off-season comments that Matt Rule had made towards Deion Sanders and his team and how they built it through the transfer portal. Like with that I think that's completely justified. Okay. I agree with the, uh, you know, being around the middle of the field and all that stuff. I get how that could come up, come off as kind of just like, hey, come on, man. Yeah, it's just what they're doing. Like, uh, during, For sure, during I agree with that. Time, this last game, okay, against U Albany, I'm on uh, the halftime call with Josh, right? And U Albany's punter is blasting punts, and I don't know if it got hit by the wind, but two different times, footballs. Landed right on top of me. He was aiming for you. It had to had to have been. <laughs> if I didn't have my head on a swivel, and that's why I was kind of like hiccuping a little bit because I was catching the punts with one hand and the other hand I have the mic on. So I'm bringing that up because we all share the same field during that pregame and halftime stuff. I was going to say, maybe he thought you were shagging for him. You were catching the balls. Technically. he. So you caught the first ball and he's like, oh. That's really nice of this I'll, guy. I'll, I'll hit this he'll, guy he'll, again. Yeah, he'll catch it for me, and it'll be all nice. All right. But I think what the next part of the drama is, after Jay Norvell goes out and says, you know, I wear, I make sure to take off my glasses and my hats when I'm talking to the grown-ups. And then Dion, like you said, in practice, talking about so do to you, his team, talking about all this bull junk, yeah. as he would call it, going up to his team is like, look, we were just – watching tape we're just trying to make this another game and they have to go out and make this all the pauses for his team to get on the same page as they all say personal it does that about three mm, other times okay you know and i think is he referring to dion coming up pre-game you know to shake hands i think he's or talking about press conferences press conferences gotcha. that's the only thing i could think about because if you are coaching I feel like it's totally normal to wear the hat and the glasses. If you're outside. If you're outside, yeah, and all that stuff. But Diva I, move if you're on the inside. Or, you know, fashion look. Sometimes you need to sometimes you need to wear the hat and the glasses to make the look look one hundred percent complete. And with Dion, I think it's the pressers, it's when you're talking to uh guys on interviews, like if you're talking with ESPN, I think that's what Jay Norvell had explicitly said. Um because Jay Norvell is that kind of guy where he bases a lot of his stuff, you know, on his faith, on how he does that stuff. Because I know he and um, – what's his name? He was um, at ASU, Herm Edwards. They're both kind of like in that same track of you'll have that kind of same kind of um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Not disi- – I think discipline mm. is what I'm looking for here. So I understand that that's where Jay is coming from. But at the same time, I think – I kind of love what Dion has kind of pivoted the view of his program from the off season to when he first got there to now here. Because now you had when he had first come in, he tells all of his players or all of the other Colorado players yeah. to say, "Hey, 
I got some, you know, Gucci coming in. You guys are probably going to be leaving. And everyone leaves. Everyone's like, I can't believe you do that. And in those first meetings, he was already kind of doing what he's been doing now. Yeah. Of where he's talking to the team and he asks them to repeat like certain words, repeat what he's saying until he feels it's good enough. Yeah. And now you get to this point of where now it's a third game into the season. They probably are all kind of on that same rhythm. They all probably have that chip on the shoulder that Dion wants this team to have. And now with every single week, a yeah. new opposing coach telling you that what you're doing is wrong and how you're doing it is wrong. Hey, that chip is only growing, yep. even if it is artificial. And sometimes the best teams are the best at building those artificial trip, so, uh, artificial chips. Along with that, I, I think Dion is a master, um, I don't want to say manipulator, but programmer. Yeah. Okay, good coaches program their players to head in a specific direction and to handle things in a certain fashion. He is fantastic at doing that with his team. I um I just worry if the long-term effects of that are going to be negative. That that's my only thought here. He's come in late completely uh completely scrapped house from who was on the team. Right. And if you're not living up to a standard, are, are, are you afraid of having your scholarship revoked? I mean, it's that part to me is scary. And I, I know we got to hit a break here, but right. I'm worried about that for these, these student athletes. Off the bench on ESPN Honolulu, Tanner here with in for Josh Pacheco alongside Hunter Hughes. Right now in Philadelphia, they're kind of down near the goal line. I thought it was going to be a touchdown, so I was a little preemptive there. I was going to make a whole joke where maybe in Philadelphia, Thursday night's Ooh, all right for them, not Saturday that's close. night. But uh, back to the topic on the ham, we were talking about Jay Norvell and uh, Colorado State versus Colorado and Deion Sanders. I think once we get into conference play, that's when you're going to see the real Colorado. Because I think Colorado... I agree in their out-of-conference was set up That's where you're super find well out. to look super good mm. because you have the TCU game, which could have gone either way, in my opinion, and and um, in the end, Shadour Sanders, Travis Hunter, they all look amazing there. You go up against a Nebraska team that's on the rebuild and not very good at all, and now you play Colorado State, which is, you know, Colorado State. They're about as good as Hawaii was last year, uh, which says a lot about both of those programs. And what's next for Colorado after this game? Oregon. Oregon. So there's certainly a lot to be prepping, I think, for uh, Colorado as the year goes on, but they they have a lot of impressive pieces. It doesn't matter just the Shador Sanderses, the Travis Hunters. I think what they've done in getting a guy like Sean Lewis as their offensive coordinator has been a really great uh, stepping stone for his career. And that gets me thinking, because he came from either, it was one of the good, really good Mac programs, uh, either Toledo or Kent State. It's, re- it's eluding me right now. But if he goes on to become a head coach next year, I think what Dion has done in not really being like, being a heavy focus on either side of the ball is he's probably creating one of the best situations for like a Kickstarter program for really talented group of five coaches. Hmm. Because if you have like the number one offense in the group of five, 
all you really need is really good talent to really show off how good you can be. It's true. So you grab a guy like Sean Lewis who did amazing. Now you give him Shador Sanders. You give him Travis Hunter. You give him all these speedy wide receivers. Why can't you go on to next year being the head coach of, let's say, a Michigan State? Because you just showed how amazing and how entertaining your offense So you're, you're hitting on something that I want to kind of tease heading into the top of the hour here um, before we head into our break. You mentioned players at the group of five level looking to elevate because of transfer portal. Are you at all worried about guys like Pafeli Ashlock as a true freshman Coming in, Richard freshman. freshman, thank you. Coming in, playing unbelievable. The worry right now is how do we keep him here at University of Hawaii? I think it's the same way that you have to kind of all group of five teams have to deal with this issue. Yep. And it's just, I think, based on the relationships you keep with your guys. And it's probably going to be different. Every single time for every single guy, it's how we were able to keep Peter Manuma, uh, how we were able to keep Tylen Hines. I think it's a lot to worry about, a lot to think about. Off the bench on ESPN, Honolulu, Tanner Hayworth in for Josh Pacheco, Hunter Hughes to my right, doing his best touchdown celebration dance. With all, with all discretion, fantasy football is awesome. I love fantasy football so much, and mostly for situations like what just happened off air. Uh, Devonta Smith just caught this huge bomb for a touchdown from Jalen Hurts. and <laughs> He's what? got 21.3 fantasy points for me, and we're just at the start of the third quarter. And who's your opponent? Keegan, who's operating our board on the other side of the room. Now, there's also a backstory for those listening uh, w- welcome to the show. Um, welcome yesterday, to Off the Bench. We talk about the sports. Bench. That's right. Thank you. On ESPN Honolulu. Well, yesterday, Keegan Ota from the other room was also on the board and unsolicited <laughs> was talking trash from the other room. And out of nowhere. No, 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 no. no. Hold, uh, hold on. on. I'm no. myself on air. I'm if sorry. You, no, okay. I, I will pull luck. Josh from the other room to verify. I'm minding my own business. And you go, hey, I'm playing you tomorrow. Good luck. That is exactly how it was said. Am I wrong? No, you're totally, you're totally wrong. You're absolutely wrong. All I said was Hunter. Ooh. I'm playing you in fantasy. Sounds, Good luck. It sounds all I said. That is exactly what I said. You know what that sounds like to me, Hunter? What does it sound like? A whole lot of cope. <laughs> That's what that sounds like to me. I'm getting fired at from all general directions. I'm catching strays like nobody else. <laughs> You're not Holy really cow. catching strays. We're pointing it straight at you. So, so with that great topic, with off that, head. we're watching <laughs> Thursday night football and Devonte Smith goes off, and I'm like, I think I have him in one of my leagues, but I don't think it's this one. And I check. Oh my goodness, it is this one. And I'm playing Keegan Ota, so I did a little touchdown dance around the uh, the ESPN Honolulu think, Studios today. And it's worth it because you did that. <laughs> it was you that did that. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And, you know, it's really great transition here because two things have happened in this Philadelphia Eagles game that has a lot of NFL fans either really salty about or either just having a lot of controversial takes. First of all, the greatest rule in the NFL uh, rulebook uh, reared its head tonight. Uh, Justin Jefferson was trying to reach over and get a touchdown. Unfortunately, fumbled the ball, 
and it went through the end zone. And what does that mean, Hunter? That means touchback. That means the Vikings lose the ball mm. after they had a pretty good drive nice that going. And I think that does lead to the question of this rule is probably one of the most universally hated rules in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think right up there with uh, the tuck rule if you're not a New England Patriots fan. <laughs> um, that one, and I'm trying to think if it they used to – Mark the spot of the foul for pass interference, too. And you could literally flip the field. I'm thankful that they changed that to 15 yards right. from the spot of the ball. Um, but, yeah, this this uh, this rule about touchbacks, I think they need to look at it a little bit. I do still believe that you should penalize the team. But loss of possession? It after, feels too much. It does feel like too much when you as the offense – could have come down on a 99-yard drive, and you penalize them for the last three inches. And the only thing that really makes sense for a substitution of the touchback just says, hey, where the ball is fumbled, should that be where the ball is put? Like, if you were running down the field, and at the five-yard line, a cornerback punches the ball out of your arms, and it goes to the back of the end zone at the five-yard line, if you are from the five-yard line. So should the ball be placed at that five-yard line instead? Or the 20. Oh, so you're saying it's like like the opposite of a touchback but for the other team. Yep. Just mark it at the 20. So, so like it's still penalizing. So the the offense still needs to be very careful about fumbling the football into their own end zone to to protect the defense a little bit. But – Loss of possession is too steep for me. It feels, Tanner, have you ever played pool like billiards? Right. It feels like scratching on the eight ball. You 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 work your way all the way through the lineup of balls, and then you hit a perfect little kiss into the corner pocket, and then the, the, the cue ball ricochets off of three rails and finds itself into the opposite corner, even though you beat the guy already. Right. It's just too steep. And this is the thing. I just thought up of a lot of like, oh, but what if this happens? But okay. I answered to this. First of all, if it's like fourth and five or it's, it's fourth and goal on the five-yard line, right? And that happens. You get the fumble through the end zone. What that should be, that should be a touchback for the other team. Okay. Because that's on fourth down. But if it happens on like third and five on um, third and five, if it happens on the five-yard line on third and goal, that should be fourth and goal on the 20. Okay. Because if you were third and goal and that happens to you, you shouldn't be then rewarded for a new first no, down no, no. on the 20-yard No, it, you're right. It should be loss of down. Yes. Or uh, the next subsequent down that would have happened is then played. And it's funny because explaining it right now to each other seems complicated, but you just have to think about it like kind of calmly. You know, oh, not calmly. What's the word I'm thinking about here? Rationally. Yeah, rationally. With logic. Unemotionally. Exactly. Yep. And speaking I, of... I would call this on the Bears. My team. Okay? If yeah. they were playing Green Bay in Lambeau. And, uh, whew, I don't know, Justin Fields, okay? Jukes somebody out, gets down to the one-yard line, goes one-on-one with a linebacker, gets hit ball pops free and then it rolls into the end zone and then out of bounds 
and it was third and goal, it should now be fourth and goal from their 20. Interesting. Because I'm thinking about this. This has happened to one team a lot of times. And I think about the Raiders. Mm. I, I can't remember what game The Raiders it was. have been on the, the wrong side of a, lot of, of a lot of calls throughout NFL history. Because I think Derek Carr has had two of these exact same situations happen to him where he's running to the front pylon and he stretches. And both of those times he has lost the ball and have that result in a touchback. So if there is one team that would love <laughs> – Love a change of this rule. There's one team that would love the change of almost any rule in the NFL rule book. It would probably be the Raiders. Mm. And and I said there were two things with this game. The quarterback sneak. Now, as an offensive lineman, I don't think it's controversial to say that I think the quarterback sneak is a perfectly fine play that you should be able to do whenever you want. And there is nothing controversial about it. Yep. But for some reason, this offseason, it's become the new trend okay. to want to get rid of and ban the quarterback sneak because the Philadelphia Eagles are just so good at it. Yep. And that does beg the question, okay, if one team is abusing this so much, should you should you ban the play? No. That's what I say. Because no Tom Brady was super successful on of the quarterback sneak, yet that didn't get banned. But as soon as the Philadelphia Eagles start doing it, people are talking about banning it. They were talking about banning it this entire summer. Sean, what? Sean Payton wanted it banned. Oh, shut up! So that's that's what has me so confused. Cry me a river and because stop it. If if the Philadelphia Eagles are so good at it, yeah. Why can't anyone else just get really good at it? Yeah, or figure out a way to stop it. Get a bigger D-line. Right. Get, get a better get, – get a linebacker that will jump over the center like they used to. I'm sorry that their offensive line, which is Jordan Mailata, Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey, Cam Jurgens, he's, he's a okay. young guy, but he's good, and Lane Johnson, four or five of those are top offensive lines in the NFL. No, you're, you're, Why should you be punished for having an amazing offensive line? And it's not like they're they're running 100 yards every time they run the QB sneak or something like that. Come on. It's whenever they get down close to the goal line, why wouldn't you? It's a high percentage play. And there's a couple of things that are required for it to – be successful. Number one, you got to have a good offensive line. That's the first thing. Second thing, you have to have not an athletic quarterback because Brady used to be great at this, but you have to have a smart quarterback. You don't run right up the backside of your center every time. If you watch it in slow-mo, he will usually pick a gap off of the guard or even sometimes stretch it out by the tackle if that's where the space is going to be. So, and there's it's different like ways the, to do that too. You can also do the pick a gap, turn around, and push yourself with your legs too. It's like the one of the oldest, literally the oldest play. That's like in football. That's like saying you should ban the halfback dive on fourth and one, or because it just works too well to get one yard a lot of the times. Or the uh, a right-handed layup in basketball. But know what, what the quarterback sneak is to the Philadelphia Eagles is the extra-long three-point shot for Damian Lillard and Steph Curry. They, Those two are really good at shooting really long three-point shots. Yep. Does that mean that we have to ban all three-point shots from a specific distance? 
Okay, no. you know what? I got a better one for you. More relevant to football. Right. Tim Tebow's jump pass. There's nothing illegal about it. Very few people can successfully pull it off because very few people have the threat that Tebow used to have of running through the line of scrimmage as with a QB keeper. That was the whole um, smoke and mirrors thing was drawing the linebackers in and then at the last second jumping over them and then dumping it over the top. And the thing is, what's so great— Stop it. What? You know, it's just sports. Find a way to stop it. I, it's it's a dumb it's a dumb discussion. Look, either find a way to stop it or start using it yourself. The jump pass is still a play that everyone uses to this yeah. day. Shout out! I think the last time I had seen it, I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did this like a long, long, long time ago, where it was like Ronald, not Ronald Jones. It was I, Mike James was like our backup running back at one point from the University of Miami, and he had run it. And I was like, man, why don't we do this more often? Yeah. It's like the shovel pass. It's a really great play. Now, in in on the other side of this discussion, an example of something that did need to be addressed was when Kenny Pickett was in college and was athletic enough to, while full speed, pretend like he was going down for right. a knee – and would dupe the safety or the linebacker into easing up to not hit him and then would run right by him. That needed to be adjusted because the, the defenders are trying not to unleash a boom and, and draw a penalty. And the thing is, that only happened once, which is the insane thing. By the way, if you watched last week's Thursday night football matchup between the Lions and the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes did that. Like, he faked a slide. Like once, mm. I can't remember what play it was, but I remember seeing it and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. I think it's something to watch, much like a Juwan Taylor lining up like he's a slot wide receiver out there at right tackle. Um, but it does really make you think, okay, just because people are really good at something doesn't mean that we have to limit everything that they do. There are completely organic ways to do that. It's like how right now I believe in the NFL, I think it's like it is the least amount of deep passes in the last season. Wow. Of like overall, like over all the seasons of the NFL, like it went down 15% last year. Interesting. Because everyone is so afraid of guys like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, uh, the Tyree Kills of the Jalen Waddles, all those guys with those huge deep threats. Yep. They're so afraid of that. They're just dropping two back safeties, Herbert. you know, every single play. Herbert, Herbert's Joe Burrow. I mean, just because people are good. Let's just let them do what they got to do because defenses in the league will find a way to adjust. Yep. And then once they adjust, then the offense makes an adjustment, then the defense makes an adjustment. And, oh, you, look at that. The game is changing every couple of years like how it normally does in a normal environment without having to uh, excessively change rules, just like how everyone loves to watch football. At least that's how I love to watch football sure. when I see organic change. I hear you. What Keegan wants is A.J. Brown to do a little bit better. Um, Tanner Hayworth in for Josh Pacheco alongside Hunter Hughes. Um, just watching Devontae this. Adams making all my dreams oh, come Devonta true. Smith. Devontae Smith, sorry. But making all my dreams come true. Really great game going on. 27-14 for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, the Vikings got a big, long score off of rookie Jordan Addison. Really great score where he just got thrown forward by the defensive back. And then Devonta Smith just came right back out and answered back with the own long bomb of his own. So I do know 
that Hunter Hughes is very happy about that. Uh, on our text line at 808-296-1420, that's where you can call or text us, 808-296-1420. Uh, we were talking a lot about the rules and changing rules for people that are just too good at what they do, and this uh, texture from 349 brings up tiger-proofing courses. Oh, yeah. So it's certainly something that totally over a bunch of sports, you know, Sometimes people are just too good. Sometimes, like um, when they banned dunks in the NCAA, because uh, or the Lou Alcindor at the time was just too good at scoring the basketball at UCLA. Hmm. I'm trying to think if there's any others like that. And then watching this game so far, uh, this number from the three one three is also <clears throat> watching the game, and he says, "Never have I ever seen a game more scripted than Thursday night football between the Eagles and Vikings. Only thing missing is a pen and paper. Unreal. Really? You know, I feel bad for three. Was it scripted for Jalen Hurts to throw a heinous He's, interception? He says this because in the first quarter. Both teams playing sloppy and only three points scored. And everyone who bet the over would hedge their bet and place a live bet for the under. Then a point explosion in the third, shaking my head. That just sounds like uh, you need to, you know, probably call one of those numbers that go on after all those fan duel ads. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. Gambling problem? <laughs> I'm I'm not sure what it would be for here, as you know, we don't usually have the sports gambling going on. That's right. Uh, so I'm assuming this is a text from the from out of state. So I think that's fair to say. Okay. If I think once you start betting, you know, live and you know hedging your bet for the under in halftime, I think that's when someone in your life has to come and say, "Hey, man, I think you got to manage your money a little bit better." But. Don't take my advice. I'm like it's a, a slippery slope. I'm a 23 year old. I don't think I'm legally allowed to give financial advice. See, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a journalism major, so I'm already not doing. Uh, my future financially is already not doing very well. Also, as someone who doesn't live at home any longer, stay as long as you can. Hey, you know, I'm taking that advice yes. very well. Stay as long Sh as you can. Shout out, uh, Mark and Jill <clears throat> Hayworth. Me parentes. Hi, mom and dad. They they do they do a great job. Uh, that's what I like to say there. Off the bench on ESPN, Honolulu, Tanner Hayworth in for Josh Pacheco alongside Hunter Hughes. Uh, a lot of really entertaining stuff going on. I don't know what's more entertaining, watching the game or watching whenever A.J. Brown like drops a ball and watching <laughs> Keegan kind of pop off a little bit. Or be targeted and it not be close. Right. It's it's a sad watch to see sometimes, um, but uh, there is certainly a lot of really great stuff going on right now, kind of around the league. I think what we should talk about is, you know, upcoming in two days, uh, there's going to be a little bit of a football game being played up in Origin. <laughs> Origin. Origin. I was going to say Eugene, <laughs> Oregon at the same time. Uh, but yeah. Up in Origin. Up in uh, Eugene, <laughs> Origin. Uh, the University Go of Hawaii. Go Ducks. <laughs> <laughs> University of Hawaii is on their way out. I believe they probably flew out a couple of hours ago at this point. Probably. Hmm. I'm not sure. I don't got the flight plan on me. Um, but when you're looking at this game, it is the typical uh, top-ranked team versus a group of five team that's not doing very well. And I just think, like, look, to a point, what do you say is a win? for the University of Hawaii in this mm. situation. Because more likely than not, uh, not to be a hater, 
I'm not sure if we're winning this game, guys. But so, <laughs> but um, I might be close. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to sound like a hater. Yeah. But uh, Oregon think, might be beating us. I think that's. Uh, I think that's fair. So what Tanner. would you? What would you classify as a win for the team on Saturday night or Num- Saturday afternoon for us? Anytime we go up and play a big time school like this, nationally ranked, with a chance for them truly to get into the CFP if they play lights out for the rest of the year that that's still in front of the, this team. Bo Nix maybe went into Heisman. That's still in front of this team. Bodacious. Unreal. To me, whenever Hawaii plays those caliber of teams, number one is coming back without any injuries. That's the first thing. That's a win. We've already got a bunch of guys banged up on this UH football team. That cannot happen this week. Um, I think a second win for us would be getting a better flow on our offense and getting the ball out of our hands a little quicker. We are not going to be able to stand in the pocket and wait for our third or fourth progression before having a hand on us. So I think a win would be Continuing to drill some of those short passes, those hitches, those those slants, those quick outs, that will serve us tremendously well for our timing come conference in just two weeks. So to me, I'm I'm really focused on that, Tanner. For from an offensive standpoint, what can we do this week? Get some solid work in against a real life opponent, not just our own guys. That will serve us for the games that really do matter in a few weeks. And I'll say this. I think what's really good about this game, too, is that we're not in the middle of a quarterback controversy. Remember this time last year at the University of Michigan game? That's right. We didn't know if it was going to be Joey Yellen or or Braden Shager. Well, Joey played the entire game. Like, there was no Jake Farrell. There was no Braden Shager. Yep. It was just Joey Yellen. Yep. And I know a lot of us really wanted to see at least maybe a little bit of Armani, a little bit of uh, Especially because from an offense, offensive scheme standpoint, we were showing a lot of RPO stuff yeah. without any of the option. Oh, man. I'm just having PTSD from last yes. year of just being like, just pull just pull the ball once. Just run it once, those, please. Those of us that <laughs> know football and watch football and have played football know that if you never pull it, that DN can crash freely. Right. And so to your point that you were making, having the having Braden be out there playing against a team that is, you know, no disrespect meant. No, nationally. Way, ra- way, ta- way more talented way more. than us. Um, being able to at least get a couple of really good reps, maybe scoring a couple of times, you hope, um, not only helps build confidence in a lot of these plays, but it lets you play at that much faster level so that when you do come down next week when you're playing New Mexico State, that really makes – it makes me feel a little more confident in the, a lot of those plays or a lot of those concepts that we would show or at least try to strengthen in the run and shoot. Mm. And also what makes me excited is you're probably going to be seeing guys you know, come out just because of the injuries that we have had. I'm excited to watch Nalu Emerson 
I'm excited to watch more Jalen Smith. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of really great stuff about both of them from Chris Brown. If there's a guy who I trust a lot with how he uh, values linebackers, I'm going to trust our linebackers coach a little bit. And he's been talking up Nalu for the last year and a half now. So having him come out there, he ended the game really well against UAlbany. Had yep. that was it the it wasn't the game ceiling sack, but it was definitely one of the last sacks in the game. Mm. So I'm excited to see. He also has that like bionic arm going on yeah. there too. So now he'll I, be very easy to watch. Out I there. think it's uh, unfair is the right word. Unfair to believe that he can become Logan Taylor esque one week after losing number right. 16. I don't think it's uh, too high of an expectation to believe that he can play well, get some solid minutes for us, but the leader needs to come from somewhere else. I think of um, Isaiah Tufaga. I think of, let's see. Um, Peter Manuma. Peter Manuma needs to probably step his game up a little bit. Maturity-wise. Uh, that's right. Mekki Pei, uh, another another person back there. Um, Vertel Edwards has been really good for us on the outside. Jonah Kahavai Welsh. There we go. Uh, yep. Maybe even John Tuitupo, who also was kind of dinged up in the yep. game last Andrew week. Andrew Choi. Well. Um, so there, there, there's a slew of different guys. Um, McBride. Uh, no, sorry, not McBride. Um, who Elijah um, Palmer. Elijah Palmer, thank you, from Bishop Gorman, has played outstanding for us. He got the interception against Albany this last week. It's going to take guys like that and kind of have a group effort to – pick up the slack that we are going to feel certainly emotionally without number 16 out there another thing i noticed in the two deeps that were released earlier this week in, they had like nickelback slash linebacker mm. and in that was elijah palmer and i believe it was also jamai otis so there is a possibility we do see the true freshman what the other true freshman from uh, bishop gorman he's been out there a couple of plays for special teams i think he had a pretty good tackle uh, last week so I think that's also another name I'm excited to see. I just want to see a lot of these young guys that I think as the year go as the year goes on, we're probably going to see a lot more. So maybe that ramp up begins either this week or next week once we kind of get into those third or fourth quarter situations, mm -hmm. depending on what the score is in that game. Defensively, I'm excited. Um, like you said, offensively, do you would you rather see a lot more of that? rhythm game a lot of that quick passing or do you want to see a little bit more to see if we could develop a running game in this situation quick like passes this? i think we could maybe do some things in the running game and you need it just to keep the box honest so the the d line and the linebackers the run game influences those guys you're not going to be able to throw much of anything over the middle without influencing the box right so on top of that, though, the run and shoot, if you're going to look at it from, like, the perspective of a car engine, it doesn't even turn on until you influence the box and throw to the perimeter. That's whenever the car is just turned on. Then you can start messing around with going into second gear, third gear, fourth gear, switch routes, uh, man beater on one side, zone beater on the other side, getting the ball downfield. Um, that's when the car is really picking up speed and the offense seems like it's moving. So 
Uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, Tanner, and kind of ride the fence and say both. I want both of those. <laughs> you want to see the run and shoot. You That's don't want to see run or shoot. You don't want to just see shoot. Um, I think a lot of people don't want to see just run. How about Jordan Johnson coming out and get some solid minutes for us this last week, though? I mean, I I still am not sure why we didn't see much of him the first three game or first two games, excuse me, because he provided a spark for us that we desperately needed from that running back room. I wonder if it's a thing about pass blocking. Because he is a smaller guy. Yep. That's probably why we see a lot of Landon Sims before he did get hurt in yep. that Stanford game. Is because he is a bigger guy. And so you expect a guy like him to probably be a better pass blocker than a Jordan Johnson. So then you see also the return of Najee bryant Lillet, another kind of bigger guy that can be out there and a better pass blocker. So... When you see Jordan Johnson out there, you know he's probably not going to be pass blocking. He'll probably be a run or have a route like that. When you see Solo Vipulu back there, most likely or not, he is running straight to the line of scrimmage as soon as the play starts to be that extra blocker on that offensive line. Mm. Um, so with it's the, that's the one issue I think I have personally with the offense is to a point, it's very telegraphed. Yeah. When we are in the pistol set and there is a tight end or an H back, that is going to be that little H back like sweep run that we run all the time. And if it's not that, then it's that only other play where you just pass it out to the H back again on a rollout. So I that's something that I notice. And I'm not particularly a guy that notices like the repeat of plays super, uh, super clearly. You know mm. what I mean? So that's one thing that I would like to see not really away from because that's probably just in there to be a part of certain scripts of how they want to run drives. Yeah, and we began this season in kind of a hybrid run-and-shoot type of a scheme because we're trying to incorporate a tight end. Right. Now, Rolo did something similar back whenever we were transitioning with a lot of the personnel group inherited from the Chow era over to the run-and-shoot era. You can't quite go four wide with the personnel that you possess. So I think Timmy is kind of strapped in a in a similar situation where we can't quite commit fully to the run-and-shoot all the time just based off of personnel. Um, and with that, it's tough to really say, I want to see this or I want to see that because the whole reason we're seeing guys like Solo Vipulu, um, various different uh, receivers throw it out there in different down and distance situations. Najee Bryant Lillet, Tylen Hines, Jordan Johnson, Landon Sims, whenever he was healthy, is because we're having to pivot our scheme and our strategy on a week to week basis on who's healthy. So, I'm wanting to us, you know, for us to kind of focus on our base packages, the things that we're going to run hands down, no matter who is in there in conference, we need to drill that right now to be ready to be successful in a couple of weeks. Now, because Grayson Morgan was out of the game last week, and I'm not really sure what his status is for the Oregon game. Yeah, me neither. Do you think that from this point on in the reg of the regular season, that we just run four wides for the rest of the year? Because I'm also not sure what the eligibility is of Grayson Morgan, if he's a junior or if he's a senior. Because if this is his like last year of eligibility, 
then it's probably something you can phase out. Because that's the one thing that I would be sad about if for a guy like Grayson Morgan, who came in when the system did have the tight end, and he has, you know, probably done a as much as he can this off season to learn this system as kind of a unorthodox position in the run and shoot. Yeah. So if he's not a senior, I think I'll be He's a junior. Okay. So that's a little sad, but at this point, I think you just kind of have to make that transition into the run and shoot, like kind of traditionally with that four wide set. Cause I was a guy that was all for the tight ends because I was like, yeah, it's totally, it makes sense. But when you have Pofele, uh, Kuali, Stephen McBride, and your choice of like Walthall, Panoke, or um, or uh, Alex Perry, depending on what you're going for, mm-hmm. those are the three guys I want to see on the field at all times with Pofele, McBride, and Kuali. Because I think with those three guys, we just have the ability to just be successful on almost any drive with the pass. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. McBride and Pofele are both those deep threats. Kowali's that guy who is pretty much a for sure catch yep. most of the time, Tough like 90% of the time, he yep. will catch that ball no matter what. And then you have a bunch of different guys that could come in and have different parts of the game, like Chuki and Alex Perry, Jalen Walthall, Jonah Panoke, all those guys. Senecal. And Senecal. Though These are all guys that kind of, I feel like, deserve to be inserted into the offense. But there are three that I want to be seeing the most. And I think with the run and shoot, that's what you want to see yeah. is have those four guys or th- that you're going to you're going to be seeing on every single play because in reality all four of those guys can pop off whenever they want to and that's what you're looking for in the run and shoot I feel like with the wide receiver room instead of what we have with eight different guys seeing the ball and eight different kind of uh, not cadences but like rhythms to how each guy runs their route. Because that's the issue you saw sometimes with Braden Shager, especially last week. You saw was it Alex Perry going out thinking it's a running play, and then Braden throws where he thinks that Alex Perry should be, and that ends up being an interception. So blocking it down to just four or five guys yeah. really helps with a lot of the miscommunication that is that can happen with the run and shoot. Yeah. And so I think as these I just don't know if we couple- have four right now. Right. Because on a game-to-game basis, that it, it definitely switches and sways. Right. Off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. Right now, it is a game in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is clinging on to a six-point lead, 27-21. to Skull ain't going away. No, they are not. After what? K.J. Osborne was left wide open, just kind of like just bare in the end zone. Absolutely no Philadelphia Eagles near him as the Eagles are looking to run the clock out with about seven minutes left. Also, it feels like the Eagles are averaging like five yards per carry. Yeah, I believe what they have just... Oh, now, perfect. They have 200 yards rushing tonight. The Vikings have 27. So, um, uh, sorry to all of the Alexander Madison owners out there in fantasy football. Uh, I would say I'm sorry for you, but if I didn't see this coming for a guy like him. Um, 808-296-1420 is the number where you can call or text us. Uh, we've been having a lot of really great discussion, and I know this is something that we do want to talk about, so I'll just throw a little bit of a tease there because this weekend I think was really good for, I think, the narrative for the Miami Dolphins Hmm. because 
this is a team that has been dealing with a lot of doubters. One of the doubters is the defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings in in Flores. Um, and a lot of people are were waiting to kind of see the hype for Tua Tonga-Vailoa. He comes off a really great year, but I think I agree with a lot of people in saying, okay, let me just see this for one more year, and then I'll be convinced. I think after the first week, people should be convinced that right now Tua Tonga-Vailoa is a top-five quarterback in the NFL. Top five? I will say it. Top five. Wow. Okay. Because I think there is something for top-five quarterbacks is that they have something that no other quarterback in the NFL can do. Okay. And with Tua Tonga-Vailoa, he has, I think, the best accuracy and the best ball placement that it, for any NFL quarterback right now. And you could say, oh, yeah, he has Tyreek Hill. And he one has of the best Jaylen offenses Waddle, that he's a part of, the, of. And an offense that is built just for him. Yeah. But in today's NFL, if you don't have an offense that's built around your quarterback to be successful, what are you doing? Hmm. That's what I'm asking. 808-296-1420 is the number to call or text us. Tanner Hayworth, Hunter Hughes. This is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, Josh Pacheco and Hunter Hughes. Yeah, I had two divorces, which was a heck of a showdown, too. <laughs> so don't tell me about a showdown. Huh? Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. I love Dion, man. Dion Sanders is just a well of quotes that I could just listen to all day. Um, did you, by the way, did you see that KFC commercial where the entire Sanders family was featured in the commercial? Really? Him, his uh, three sons, and his two daughters were all in the commercial. Really? So you can't not say that primetime has an effect out here. Uh, at least what he's been doing. Really great job in Colorado. Now, right before we went into break, I had said something that I didn't think is super controversial, especially after last week, and where I declared Tua Tonga-Vailoa a top five NFL quarterback right now. And that has inspired Hunter and I to have our kind of like for us to kind of like our first uh, top five kind of like showdown kind of deal yep. of who we see right now going into week two is our top five quarterbacks in the NFL right now. So, Punter, I, I, uh, I cede the floor to you. Wow. Thank you, my friend. Um, and just to be clear, are we going one through five for those listening at home or are we going five well, to one? Should we do one through five? Because I I like to think we have the same at one. We'll do it on three. One, two, two three. three. Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes. Perfect. It's not even close. It was like it was like the Reno moment. That's we right. Had. So that's that's good to know. We at least have that down. Patrick Mahomes is an amazing quarterback. Uh, that does not stop him from having absolutely uh, dog water wide receivers uh, when our, Travis Kelsey isn't playing. I'd also like to say this list has to do with how players are playing now. At this moment. At this moment. Um, however, with respect to Mahomes, uh, 
Well, he played well. He played well. He had some moments of accuracy. He's still the best quarterback in football. Yeah. I think it's always fair to give him that at least small benefit of the doubt. Yep. Uh, might as well just, just go down the list to what you got. Uh, I still have Burrow at number two. Interesting. Okay. Um, my number three at this moment. And we're doing for this year, not like who are I'm they? doing for this year. Okay. Uh, what I've seen so far and how confident I feel. Okay. Ooh. Three is Herbert. Got it. Okay. Mainly because of his ability to run. I think versatility, he's he's right up there. Um, four, Josh Allen. I initially had him at three, but I had to click click him down after for that performance. Yeah, that would that was that was a rough game for him, uh, and uncharacteristic. So that's number four, and at number five, woo, I'm probably going Jalen. Five, Jalen Hurts over Tua. Right now, yeah. Interesting. Yep. So what I'm about to Mahomes, say, yeah. so, Burrow, uh, Herbert, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts. Those are my it. five. So what I'm about to say, I do have to heavily preface this. My thought process behind this is what I've seen so far this year. Okay. And that is going to strongly influence who I view as the top quarterbacks in the NFL this year right now is. So number one, obviously, like we said, Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes. Number two, I think I have to reward the best performer on offense from last year, from last week. Yep. I have Tua at two. Wow. When he is on the field, the Miami Dolphins are a top team in the NFL. Wow. You take him off the field and they are garbage. And it doesn't matter <laughs> that they are throwing to Tyreek Hill or to Jalen Waddle or to River Craycraft yep. because in the end, Tyreek Hill is an absolutely amazing addition the Chief, for Tua Tungavailoa. The Chiefs are not the same without Mahomes. Exactly. Yeah. It's and, the same thing. Yes. We saw what happened last year when Tua was not playing. Yep. If Tyreek Hill was this guy that made Tua so good, why couldn't any other backup quarterback do as well as Tua Tonga-Vailoa? So, thus... Wow, you're putting a quarterback at number two who apparently still can't throw the deep ball. Apparently not. You know, 461 is not deep enough for if, some people. Yeah, if people can't pick up on that, that's sarcasm coming from, <laughs> from the Paxa Studios right now. Now, number three, I have Trevor Lawrence. Ooh, now, T-Law. I love Trevor Lawrence. They're playing, man. He's playing. I had him just outside. He is great. His upside is amazing, especially with Doug Peterson as his head coach, yep. which is like probably the antithesis to an Urban Meyer kind of situation. Mm. So Trevor Lawrence has dealt with adversity so early on in his career. And you could tell from his playoff game last year, that one playoff game felt like what his career was to that point, starting off at 27 to nothing. And in the end, getting that win, 28-27 to 27 over the Chargers. Now, speaking of those Chargers, number four, I do have Justin Herbert, who I believe is still one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, despite yep. you know benefiting a lot from yak uh, yardage, from yards after the catch, something that a lot of people like to uh, uh, accuse Tua of being when 
Justin Herbert, you know, gets a lot of yak, but he also has a lot of really uh, weapons that he highlights. Yep. Keenan Allen isn't as good as Keenan Allen right now uh, without uh, Justin Herbert. And number five, um, I don't have Joe Burrow. Uh, he's dealing with the calf issue, and he just did not look good, especially with that offensive line. I do not have Josh Allen because Josh Allen has regressed, I think, a lot hmm. since ha- the halfway point of last season. Something happened at the halfway point of last season where, for some reason, the Buffalo Bills offense has been absolutely terrible. And for much of that reason, I think is Josh Allen's fault. Because really? I don't think Stephon Diggs got any worse. I don't think Gabriel Davis got any worse. The offensive line is mediocre, sure. But Josh Allen's decision-making is not good. Number five for me is a guy that I do not expect to play as well as he did last week. It's Matthew Stafford. Wow. Matthew Stafford, while he did not throw a lot without of touchdowns. Without Cooper Cup, man. Without Cooper Cup, threw 120 yards to both Tutu Atwell and Puka Nakua. Now, if... That isn't the greatest duo of wide receiver names uh, in the NFL. I don't know what else is. I think I would trust my law firm of Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell. Mm. Uh, Matthew Stafford is coming in with a lot of young guys. He doesn't even know their names. He knows their face, does not know their names. The offensive line is slowly getting better. Uh, Steve Avila, their rookie from TCU, I think is an amazing addition to at least strengthen an absolutely terrible offensive line. Their running game could be a lot better. Uh, But I think Matthew Stafford is the catalyst for that Rams offense. And he went out there, threw for 300 yards on pretty good efficiency, and they beat the Seattle Seahawks, a playoff team last year. And I don't know. I think I've always been a Matthew Stafford guy since he was in Detroit. I was so happy when the Rams and him won that Super Bowl only Mm. two years ago. They kind of looked like they were the defending Super Bowl champions in that game with a little bit of a slow start. But afterwards, outscoring the Seahawks 23 to nothing in the second half, that's, I think, in my book, a little bit impressive. That's why for right now in the NFL – I have Matthew Stafford above guys like Joe Burrow or Josh Allen. You don't even have Joe Burrow in your top five. No. He played terrible last last week. So even though Mahomes lost, you're still holding him in regard as the best in the league. Yeah, because I look at his performance, and I still hold that performance very well because if Kadarius Toney just caught a drag— yeah, they if, win that game. Literally, if if he didn't drop a drag route that was perfectly in his hands, the Chiefs win that game because it erases a pick six. Now, I'm sure something could have happened down the line that drive. Who knows? But what I'm saying is that is an easy catch that – I believe any NFL wide receiver should be able to make, especially he did have a little bit of separation. So I understand the argument of not holding that loss on Joe Burrow. He's coming off of that calf injury, which has me concerned a little bit. And that offensive line is not improved enough to be something I'm confident in to keep up the health of Joe Burrow. Hmm. And that's what I'm concerned about the most. I'm sure in three weeks, Joe Burrow will be back in my top five. But from what I have seen so far, those are the quarterbacks, despite their situations, still impressed. 
You know who's also kind of impressing me right now is Kirk Cousins, man. Yeah. I've always been a Kirk hater. I will say that. Yeah. But in the last two seasons— I don't know if I've been a hater. I just haven't given him <laughs> the time of day. Right. I. But what he's been able to do— Yeah. Has just been. I mean, if you watched quarterback in the off season, you saw a lot of the injuries that he had to kind of go through, and just how tough he is. So far in this game, he has a very bad offensive line blocking for him. His backup left tackle went out of had to be carted off the field, and they're playing against one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. And so far, you know, if they had recovered an onside that Justin had happened, that game could have been won by the Minnesota Vikings. Also, okay, we just watched an onside kick because Minnesota scored late in this game. There's a minute left, and they obviously have to kick an onside kick trying to win this. I have a gripe with how really any team goes at onside kicks, and I think they're doing it incorrectly. Hmm. I have not seen to this day, other than whenever I played peewee football, so like whenever I was a kid, why... They don't have the kicker kick one really low and really hot right at the line of the other team. You know that they have the ability. All those kickers played soccer, okay? It doesn't need to be extremely hard, but kick one right at the guy in the front, aim right at his face mask, Smack him right in the mouth with the football, and it's bouncing right back to your guys, and you get the ball. I haven't seen anybody Hunter, try to do that. You are, you are just reading me like a book. I have been saying this for Dude, so long. Why don't they try that? Kickers, you got to be super accurate, right? Oh, you would. Uh, you, so it would you, be it'd be have, a messy kind of a kick. It but. would be, but it's kind of like when they kick it really high on the thing, so they want as much bounce as possible as yeah. the ball is spiraling over end. It would be something very similar to that, except you're kicking right in the middle of the ball, and you're kicking straight into a crowd of from, guys. From 10 yards away, you're telling me you can't. Okay, we can't, but no. they can. They have the precision. And, to, like, that's – I feel like that's – is that kind of like an open-faced kick with the I side think, of your yeah, foot, or, maybe? Uh, my buddies that played soccer in college, they, they actually talk about kicking it with the top of your foot. Mm. At an angle, so like you're you're kicking down on it, right? Like hitting a little low riser, like like a stinger on the golf course. It's, Boom! It's like uh, was it the longest yard where their uh, strategy for a part of the game against the guards is uh, beaming the refs That's three right. times in That's a row. <laughs> yes, kickers got to go out there with that kind of mentality. That's right. You got to beam the uh, the hands crew. Similar to like uh, on. In uh, crunch time in a basketball game, when they need it to hit the rim and come back to them, they throw one really hot at the rim for it to ricochet right back to them, and they get the rebound. That's what I would like to see at some point for, you know, a, a team, NFL, college, high school. I would try that and see and see if you can't come away with uh, an easy turn, easy turnover. Well, why not? We can. I feel like one of us needs to have Thomas. Uh, what's it called? A uh, chef's number on us right now. You would think, right? I mean, I just gotta think. Look, you call up Chef and be like, "Hey, you gotta get with Ben Ben Falk on this. 
Because I think we got a brand new plan for a brand new onside strategy. Because our onside strategy isn't that bad either. We almost got it against Vanderbilt a couple of weeks ago. But it adds a whole nother level to what you're thinking or as the hands crew. Because normally you're thinking, all right, got to get ready for the bounce. And as you're getting ready for the bounce, boom. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying you get lights out, knocked out there, but still, regardless, it's a shocker. And if it bounces, like you said, it bounces straight off of them, straight into the onside kick recovery. You and So that's what has me perplexed a little bit because you and I are thinking about this. There is no way that no one else has ever thought about that's this. That's right. So that's, I think that's what has me the most confused because it sounds like a good idea. It does. I think we got to call up Chef and say, hey, how come you guys don't do this? Maybe it's not in the script. Maybe. Or or they're trying to hide it, and they mm. don't want us to know yet. I think that's something we got to talk about over the break. Uh, Tanner Hayworth in for Josh Pacheco uh, alongside Hunter Hughes. We are enjoying ourselves right now as the Vikings kind of have need a miracle right now for a win. And, you know, to be fair, if there's a team that needs a miracle – uh, Minnesota, the last couple of years, have been pretty good at getting miracles. So uh, it's true. We'll go into this break. This is Off the Bench on ESPN, Honolulu. Yes, it haunts me. Off the Bench on ESPN, Honolulu. Tanner Hayworth in with Hunter Hughes. 808-296-1420 is the number to call or text us. And we do got Rand on the line. Rand, how's it going? Hey, good, go- uh, good job, Off the Bench. I think you guys make a good team. Thanks, man. Thank you. Anyway, just wanted to comment, um, you know, a hunter with your bears uh, could be a long season. Yes, for, I know. Thank you. For Tan- Leave him Tan- alone. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, there's hope, but I'm a big 49er fan. And I'm kind of lucky that my cousin called me from L.A. and he had an extra ticket to the Niner game. So I'm going to score red eye tonight against the Rams. So Is that in L.A. or is that in San Francisco? It's going to be in L.A. because I'm going to be wearing... So it's a home game regardless red. is what I'm hearing. Yeah. yeah, because a lot of red comes down to L.A. too. But yeah. I'm just thinking your thoughts. You mentioned Stafford, but, you know, we got this guy named Purdy, and he's kind of pretty good, you know? Nice. He is, he is pretty good. I do agree, Rand, and thank you for the call. Appreciate it. And Stafford's good. I love Stafford. I think the Rams have a lot of good weapons. The 49ers are obviously the best team in the NFL, I think, in my opinion. But... Sometimes teams just have a little bit of that inability to play up to their competition. And I say that with a certain amount of tease there. Off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. Now, before we went to break there, yeah. I kind of said something that... Tanner but, gave us a tease. He gave a tease. And this was all based on Rand's call. He was talking up the 49ers. He's going out there to the San Francisco LA game, Lucky. which is... Awesome. You get to go to SoFi Stadium, which is at this point, whenever San Francisco goes down there, it's basically a home game still. Um, But I talked up the 49ers. They are the best team in the NFL. They have guys like Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, uh, Talano Hufanga, you know, their offensive line. You think about Trent Williams, Brock Purdy's playing well, Debo and Ayuk and Kittle. They got weapons galore. They got Christian McCaffrey. And when you look at the Rams, yeah, sure. It was a good game last week by Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell and Kyron Williams and Matthew Stafford. They all played well enough. And you still got Aaron Donald. So to what point 
do you look at the Rams this year and you look at the Rams last year, what parts of the Rams of last year do you cut out from your just general bias over the team? Because in my opinion, after watching that first game, and I obviously need to watch probably like two or three more weeks to be for sure on this opinion, the Rams have the potential to be that second playoff team outside of the NFC West over the Seattle Seahawks, in my opinion. Okay, so you, you see them as second. Uh, second in the NFC West. Second in the NFC West. They could West. win nine games or ten games this year. Okay. And with a weak NFC, nine games is pretty good enough to get at least get the seventh or the sixth seed. Wait, and you're putting the 49ers at third? No. No, in, I'm, in the no, West? No, I'm saying 49ers, Rams, Seahawks. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. In front of the I Seahawks. I, would I, never, I wouldn't say that. I was going to say, they're yeah. like. I'm not that. They're one of the best teams I'm in football. I'm not that crazy. Okay. I am a little bit crazy. Uh, I am crazy for saying that the Rams are going to beat the Seahawks this week. Uh, the Rams are going to beat the 49ers this weekend. And I really only say that because it's week two. That's right. And whatever you think about your team is wrong. Or it's just not backed up yet. And with the 49ers, they played very well last week, as we all know. Uh, the only issue is they have this guy in L.A. I'm not sure if a lot of people remember him. His name is Aaron Donald. Yeah. Number 99. And I would say other than the offensive line Two being absolutely terrible. Of the year. Exactly. He didn't play a lot last year. So he comes back from injury. And that interior of the 49ers offensive line is not good. Uh, if you watched any of the preseason this year where they did have starters come in from time to time, uh, they just did not look very good at all. And it was a big concern for a lot of 49ers pundits out there that without Trent Williams and you know going to the regular season, what is this offensive line? Because it's really average at best without Trent Williams. Trent Williams makes this offensive line go. Uh, but that's what happens when you have the best tackle in that's the league. True. So the best tackle in the league, sure, but what is he going to do against a defensive tackle? Mm. Because you can build all those really amazing like trap plays that the 49ers like to run where they pull Trent Williams. They have a guy like Kyle Juszczyk as well who's a really great blocker. But I just think with the inherent pressure that comes from Aaron Donald. Okay. And you think about the fastest way to get to a quarterback from the defensive line is going straight from the A gap yep. or uh, right in between the center and the guard for Thank the people you. that don't know. Um, that's the quickest way to get to a quarterback. And it's also the most obvious way for a quarterback to see, oh my, oh my Lord, there mm -hmm. is pressure coming right in front of me. Now, I'm going to bring up another. Uh, critical player from the Rams, Cooper Cup. Right. Do you see the Rams being able to be successful without him, or do you think last week their success was kind of a fluke? I don't think their success was a fluke. I also do have to say the Seattle Seahawks defense, they're not the Legion of Boom. It's true. So they aren't necessarily a top 10 defense in the NFL. They are going against probably a top five defense in the NFL this week. So this will prove how necessary Cooper Cup is to this offense. Um, however, 
in my opinion, they have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in Matthew Stafford when he is healthy. Uh, coming off of last year, there was all those complaints of him not being able to really was it? I, I can't remember if it was either him being able to throw the ball deep or being able to hold the ball strong because it's like a lot of those nerve issues That's right. that uh, Marcus Mariota was dealing with kind of in the middle part of his career with Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And Matthew Stafford, as we all know, has just – He's he is the glass he has the glass bones and like paper skin. He's really easy to get hurt throughout his entire However, career. However, he's tough. He is you, awesome. You go back to whenever he, had, he was on the Lions and had his shoulder separated and his went back year. and went back out there and won the game for him. It is the best mic'd up moment in NFL history. That was awesome. It's out of a movie. It's the it's the I got, I got, I can use my right arm, coach. Yep. I can throw. I can if help you. If you need me for one play, I can throw. Yep. And he goes ahead and throws the touchdown to win the game over the Browns. And then his like arm is slumped off to the side. And he's just running off. It's and, out. And, it's out. I felt it pop out. Everybody's coming up to high five <laughs> him and hug him, and he's like, "Oh, oh, stop, 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 stop touching me." Yeah, so good. Matthew, I just think that Matthew Stafford is still to this day somehow. One of the most underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. Still, and they won Super Bowl a couple years ago. <laughs> because he won a Super Bowl, he may not be a first ballot guy. This dude, I think, at least deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Wow. For his being able to live throughout his entire career through Detroit. <laughs> this Dang. Is... <laughs> Dang, Tanner. Hey, it was a bad time for Detroit Lions, man. He went I mean, he was the product of the 0-16 season. If they don't go 0-16, they don't got Stafford. You're gonna say that about Charlie Batch? He well, was Charlie a... Batch didn't win a Super Did he win a Super Bowl? No, but okay. The Super Bowl does help. But the Super Bowl helps him a lot. It made I'm not it sound like a, I'm not saying he's a first ballot for sure guy. He is a guy like a couple years throughout the voting process. You're like, you know what? Matthew Stafford was pretty good, wasn't he? I feel like he deserves something. You, okay, the Super Bowl helps. He was I'm also one of the back. best passers in the NF in in like season by season. Sure, he was one of those guys that threw for like five thousand yards a couple of times in his career. You made without it sound the seventeenth like, game. You made it sound like he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame for surviving Detroit. Because it sounds better. I mean, <laughs> it sounds funny. Okay, when you say it out, you see how it elicited a response from yeah. you. <laughs> so what I said worked. <laughs> it elicited a response. There we there. go. Nope. But. It's but to be because what he did, despite kind of that losing culture of the Detroit Lions, you can ask any Detroit Lions fan out there from I can't think of a time where there was a winning culture in Detroit past Barry Sanders losing in the playoffs year (laughs) after year after year. You know what I mean? And he was all they had. Exactly. And for a lot of the times, Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson was really all they had. Yeah, they had. Darius Slay on defense. I'm trying to remember the um, safety they also used to have. It was uh, Glover Quinn they also had. It was really good. They had a couple of really good pieces. And Dominican Sue. you could probably say that about those right. old Detroit Lions teams too. I just don't really know who else was on there other than Barry. But, yeah, he's not first ballot. But I like Matthew Stafford. He's clutch. Uh, one of the best clutch time quarterbacks, at least in all the quarterbacks that are uh, here right now in the current NFL. Um, that's why I just think like it's week two surprises can happen. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the Rams just randomly pop off with like a, what, like a 28, 27 win. Because remember like a couple of years ago, 
where the Falcons – was it the Falcons? The Falcons beat the 49ers just super randomly, even though, like, the 49ers are still such a really great team. They probably might have. So it happens to the best of them. Anybody can get got. Right, and that's the really great thing about the NFL is they're all professionals. They're all trying to win, unless you're, like, the Arizona what, Cardinals. Which is what we uh, go to bed thinking the night of every – the night before every Bears game. Hey. We could win. We could win tomorrow. That's when you turn off your Xbox, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can say that. Hey, by the way, fun fact. Uh, today, uh, this is a really great fact for all the Chicago Bears fans out there. Uh, Justin Jefferson, he's 24 years old. Uh, in this game, uh, let's. I want to get his uh, actually uh, complete yardage here. He finished today with 11 catches for 160 yards. By the way. 11 catches for 160 yards. He had, what, 150 yards last week, too. Um, he has eclipsed every single receiver in Chicago Bears history. And he is only 24 <laughs> years old. Oh Am gosh. I saying that to just kind of pick on Hunter? Uh, it's a little – it's an easy target. It's low-hanging fruit. It's so – I mean, because, to be fair, Chicago Bears have not had an elite wide receiver, like, longevity-wise. Ever. Like, Alshon Jeffrey was nice with it. Brandon Marshall was nice with it. Yeah, but, but it I wouldn't like call the them, like, legendary Bears receivers. Yeah, it's because we're a running team. Maybe, like, Ditka is the closest thing you guys had. Ditka. Um, we run the ball, and we play defense. And then we let Devin Hester return kicks. If only those counted for receiving yards. I think... I I I want to say... It's almost like the 2001 Miami Hurricanes, where if the offense never went on the field, they would have been like eight and four. Like that, our defense was like that whenever we were good. It's, they, they could score points. I find it amazing how a lot of NFL franchises throughout their history have different eras and different ways that they win. You know, ball games. You know, Detroit right now is is a lot more different than when Detroit was successful back in the 2010s with Jim Schwartz, back in the uh, uh, 90s with Barry Sanders. The Chicago Bears are truly only good when they can run the ball and play defense and have someone who could be a good quarterback at quarterback. A game manager. Yeah, the, like Mitchell Trubisky. He was fine. He was fine. He Except did what he had to do. Except for the fact that we slept on Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson and traded up in the draft to get Mitch Trubisky. That's the worst part of that. One pick. Golly. Also, wait. Super huge tangent. Why are the 49ers so bad at picking at number three overall? Because think about their number three overall Lance. pick of that. They picked Solomon Thomas with that pick. And then the, the next number three overall pick they had when they traded up for that was Lance. Trey Lance. I think that's an interesting theme to see that for the 49ers. Come but, on, Lynch. But, that, like I said, like it's funny. And then the Philadelphia Eagles, they're really good when their quarterback is kind of more of a mobile guy. Carson Wentz is a huge, like, almost super mobile guy. But, like, Jalen Hurts, I think of, like, Randall Cunningham. I think of Michael Vick. Uh, it's just funny how that seems to work out for certain franchises that are just so constant and like uh, just so consistent throughout their franchise. I mean, look at the New York Jets. They're just bad. <laughs> and they can't really do anything about it. They are 1-0, Tanner. 
They're sure, man. They're they're one and zero with <laughs> Zach Wilson as their starting quarterback. Uh, that's certainly a bleak uh, bleak onlook for New York Jets fans <laughs> out there. Sorry, Gary Dickman. Sorry, Steven Side to do that to y'all. Uh, but there's certainly, hopefully, a lot more to look forward to as you know. Hopefully, the years go on for the New York Jets. Maybe they'll get Aaron Rodgers back next season. Nathaniel Hackett seems to be super confident that he's coming back next season. So is uh, Aaron Rodgers. He posted like a Bane quote from like Batman. Dude, I know. <laughs> yeah. No, Which, it was it was actually Harvey Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent. Yeah. It was it was the night is darkest before the dawn, and I assure you the dawn is coming. So I think I think Aaron Rodgers is probably coming back next year. Uh, he probably won't be going to the Minnesota Vikings. So cool your Jets with all your scripts with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers having the exact same career here. Uh, we got one more segment here into the final stretch for off the bench today. This is Tanner Hayworth alongside Hunter Hughes. This is ESPN Honolulu. Welcome back to Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. We're into the last segment of today. I mean, it was a pretty great flow today. It was a tough start to the show coming off of that uh, 3-1 loss uh, for the University of Hawaii Rainbow Wahine as they start their fight for the fort over uh, at TCU. They lose to TCU in four sets, unfortunately. Uh, they kind of... Had a small. It's if you've watched Rainbow Wahine volleyball, it kind of followed the same script. We had a lead, uh, we lost the lead, and then kind of halfway through the game, you could feel the collapse incoming, and the collapse happened. Uh, so hopefully, uh, Robin Amo gets her girls ready for the rest of this weekend as conference play looms ahead next weekend uh, for the Big West play. Uh, final thoughts as we got a couple of minutes left in today's show. Hunter, what what you thinking about? Um, I have a bit of a hot take. So Team USA Basketball is rumored to be bringing back what people are calling an Avengers-like roster. Team Team 2. With LeBron, maybe Steph, Durant, Draymond Green, uh, potentially even uh, uh, a handful. I mean, you name it. Like, they're trying to put together an all-star cast. I believe if LeBron is playing, there is no way Dwayne Wade is not playing. Playing? Hot, hot take, Dwayne Wade. Not even just being on the sideline as, nope. like, a coach? Dwayne Wade will come out of retirement to play with LeBron. Okay. He retired in 2019. He re- I already checked it. He retired in 2019, and he was playing a couple of minutes a game, yeah. I know for sure, with Miami. It's the same situation with the Dream Team in the now, early 90s when both Matt. Larry and Magic had already phased out of their careers, but they brought them back for marketing purposes. I'm telling you, check my receipts six months from now. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's impossible. And you know what? I think it would be very funny. I'm telling you. It would be very silly. And you know, that's what I look for the most in a lot of the sports teams that I follow. Yeah. I like a little bit of silliness and I think he would add to that. Now, I do have to wonder this question aloud. Didn't Joel Embiid become a US citizen? Like Ooh. a couple of months ago? 
Perhaps. So if he became a U.S. citizen, does that not mean he can play for USA Basketball? I think... Mm, I think it has to do with your country of origin. But so then I think about um, World Baseball Classic. That's right. And if you had dual citizenship, then you could play for either, either team. Either one, it was so your choice. So you had a choice. So if Joel Embiid is, in fact, a U.S. citizen, that really kind of solves the one issue that the USA basketball has every single year in big men because all the best big men are not from the U.S. because all the good big men from the U.S. are usually hurt. We're not big, <laughs> we're not big enough. I mean, to be, the, the, the last time USA was really good, had a really good center, it was Tyson Chandler. Yeah. Now, this is no disrespect to Tyson Chandler. He was good for what he had to do. But, um, yeah, I think it's something to think about. I like the idea of having Dwayne Wade back. And I think it would be very fun for the morale of the team. Yep. I think of guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kyrie Irving, you know, being a part of that squad. Who says that you that the U.S. can't do that if LeBron James gets added to that team? That's right. I'm just like merging my final thought into yours there because now I, all I can think about is USA basketball. Yep. Because everyone has saying all that stuff about Noah Lyles being like, see, Noah, Noah Lyles was correct. The NBA championship should not be like the world champions. Well, this is the thing, man. The USA FIBA basketball team are not better than the Denver Nuggets. I'll no. say that right now. No. The Denver Nuggets could beat any single one of the FIBA World Cup team, and I'll say that with 100% guarantee. This has been Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Have a great night.